On episode 14 of the EdTech Pod Squad, the squad talks about planning and leading a district-wide tech conference, a few long-awaited updates to G Suite, and Aaron shares some huge news. Welcome to the EdTech Pod Squad, a monthly show where five Missouri EdTech leaders talk, share, and reflect on their own teaching and learning. The conversation with Josh Howard, Samantha Hardesty Knoll, Aaron Lawson, Jonathan Lee, and me, JP Presvento, starts right now. All right, who's ready for the EdTech Pod Squad Live Podcast? Hello and welcome to episode 14 of the EdTech Pod Squad. We're excited to be with you for April 2019, and we're going to run around the room real quick and see who all is here, starting with Jonathan. Yes, I am Jonathan Lee. I am Instructional Specialist with the Midwest Education Technology Community, otherwise known as METC. Catch me on Twitter at percent. I'm Erin Lawson. I'm the tech coach in the Orchard Farm School District, and you can find me on Twitter at Erin underscore Lawson3. I'm Josh Howard. I'm the tech coach at the Fulton Public School District in Fulton, Missouri, and you can find me at Josh C. Howard on Twitters. I'm Sam Hardesty Knoll. I'm an instructional tech coach with the Wentzville School District, and you can find me at Tech Knoll. And I am J.P. Prezavento, Instructional Technology Coordinator from the Fox School District. You can find me online at J.P. Prez and find my blog and website at jpprez.com. Um, just as usual today, we are going to have a What's New segment, a Coach's Corner, and our featured content. So we're going to kick off today with what's new. And I don't want to bury the lead for this episode. So let's all go ahead and give a great big shout out to our own Aaron Lawson, who is now Dr. Aaron Lawson. Congratulations. Aaron, you did it. You got to change that Twitter handle. Oh, no. No. <laughs> no, for, for everyone who's listening, I can never remember my Twitter handle. And so, yeah, I <laughs> definitely not changing the Twitter handle. But thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's been awesome. two and a half long years. So, Aaron, you got your doctorate at Maryville University here in St. Louis, and you are a doctor of teacher leadership now. Is that correct? That is correct. I'm and impressed that you, you know that. What did you focus your studies around? I uh, focused my capstone research on uh, student PD and I, on the student PD event, student personal development, check it out, hashtag student PD. And I wanted to just make sure that um, I had just a data to support it. So relevance, progress, future goals, things like that for students. And so that was, that was a interesting, long process. I have never written so much in my entire life. Um, so that was cool. And then I did another kind of study on um, just developing uh, like our committee members for technology. So awesome. So what did your research tell you about student PD? Did it tell you that it's the most successful movement in education history? <laughs> oh, yes, it did. Absolutely. No, <laughs> um, no it, you know, it had it definitely helped kids with future goals. It helped them. It was definitely relevant and engaging for kids. Um, the only thing that we, that I found was that, uh, you know, in the end, it still turns out to be almost like you got this instructor in front of you and then whole group, like, so you got whole group instruction. So even if the kids are choosing to learn about, I don't know, calligraphy or something, they, 
in the end, they're usually in a big group of like 25 kids and they don't really get to do completely hands-on or have one-on-one -on -one time with that presenter. And so that kind of helped me kind of know what we need to do as teachers in our classrooms to really try to set up um, some more like almost individualized time for our students. Awesome. I think that's a whole nother conversation too about how do you make student PD more than just career day. Um, but we're going to save that for another day. Absolutely. <laughs> well, congratulations again, and we're all super excited for you. And I won't make the joke I always make about getting a prescription. Um, <laughs> I won't be able to help you with that. Sorry. <laughs> ah, luck. Next on the list is audio in Google Slides. All right. So I've been checking my Google Slides literally every day. On my other podcast, I talked about this in my last episode, and I still don't see audio in my Google Slides. Does anyone have this yet? And can you talk about it? Sam. Yes, I have audio in my slides. As a matter of fact, um, we were checking it every day as well, and it finally popped up yesterday and couldn't be more excited at what possibilities that opens up for our students. And Josh, I was thinking about you because, boy, that really helps with those student podcasts and using slides for student podcasts to be able to have that audio just directly in there. So under that sweet little insert menu in Google Slides, you're going to now see um, adding audio as well. So as you've been messing with that, Sam, is there anything like, you know, I understand how it works, like in theory, that I can go insert, just like insert video, grab a piece of audio from my Google Drive, I can format it and put buttons on there. Is there anything that you've kind of seen in your kind of messing around with it that um, you want to let everyone know about? No, I mean, it's pretty straightforward as far as when you insert that audio. Um, it's just pulling, actually, mine, you can pull from uh, your drive or your team drive or shared with me or recents, but uh, nothing crazy as far as the audio that you can insert on there. What's what's neat about it uh, compared to the video, where right? video is, is specific to a slide, but um, audio can actually go across slides. So it's gonna be, that would be pretty slick oh. uh, within that. Because when you insert audio, you have the option to have it stop once you leave the slide or you can let it keep going. So um, that's going to be a pretty neat feature to have as you talk about using slides there. And I have been, we don't have it yet. And when this was released, kind of like Sam said, I was dying for this because we use Google Slides for so many of these creative projects, podcasts, uh, like as a video editor, uh, just as a storytelling tool. And I didn't know what you just said, Jonathan, that you could have a, <clears throat> the audio go uh, throughout your slideshow presentation. So that's really, uh, that's really interesting. And um, I'm excited about what we'll be able to do with that. That's cool. All right, so the next thing on the list, let's go ahead and stick with that Google theme. And Delay Send is now in Gmail. Anybody want to talk about Delay Send in Gmail? Who has that? I have that. I do too. Okay. That. Um, I laughed because when that came out, it, it made me really think about our future Sam and our future me episodes. Mm -hmm. Because one of the things that I love to do is like when I'm doing learning, I, I like to like, I like to like put on my calendar for a month out or two months out, like check back with this just so I remember and continue on. And uh, I've already sent myself, future Sam has sent herself several emails to keep on track with things. I'm loving that. I haven't sent it to anybody else, just myself. First of all, I think you should get future Sam at gmail.com. And I think you should send current Sam emails from 
future Sam at Great GMT. <laughs> I think I'm actually going to do that. That's so the idea. real yeah. question I have, like delay send, it's, it's great. We are like, oh my gosh, we can send emails in the future. But what do you guys think are some of the realistic use cases for folks in our roles as um, tech coaches and tech leaders and the classroom teachers? So what are some of the realistic use cases for something like delay send in Gmail? So, um, oh, sorry, John. I, I actually hit, uh, there's a Google extension called Boomerang that does the same thing that I have been using for years. So this is actually really cool because uh, that has credits you can like run out, but this does the same thing, but it's through Google. Of course, I don't have it yet, so I'm still using Boomerang. But um, the way that I use it is I, I, can, I know the email isn't like the most effective way to communicate with like teachers and everybody like that but it's usually like the best tool that we have to reach the largest number of people. So <clears throat> instead of just sending an email at like whenever I com finish composing the email, I um, try to gauge like when more people respond. So like a lot of times if I send an email at 6.30 in the morning, it's gonna be the first thing people see in their inbox whenever they get into their classroom. So I use it like if I have a workshop or something coming up, um, like, for example, I'm doing a workshop after school today, so I scheduled an email to go out this morning at uh, 6.45, so I knew people would see it first thing, and then I have scheduled another one to go out this afternoon at 3, right before we start, just to remind people. And that way, I don't have to be sitting at my keyboard and sending those emails out. I, I scheduled those emails days ago. So it takes all that stuff off my plate, but I also know that my bases are covered for that. And I think... Um, it's like when I was a teacher, I would do the same thing. I would end up sending a lot of emails like at 1130 at night. And I think that's like an unhealthy, uh, like even if you have to send your emails, I don't always like hearing from my students and stuff. Oh, Mr. Howard, what were you doing up at 12 last night uh, sending emails? And I'm like, well, um, I have a bad uh, work health relationship. So, but now I can schedule those emails to go out at a more appropriate time so people don't think I'm some sort of teacher vampire. Awesome. So you currently pay for the Boomerang Pro subscription. I don't. Um, I use just their free version, which you get it gives you X number of credits for free that sometimes I bump up against it, but I've never actually paid for it. And um, that service is great, and it offers a lot of other tools that are really useful. Like it's got a it's got a vacation responder that's pretty good. It uh, it can auto respond. A lot of stuff that Google's been working on adding over the last couple of years. Boomerang's been doing pretty well. But um, it you it has a thing where you can pause your inbox. Uh, you can turn your inbox off. You can turn it back on. It has more uh, auto response tools than Gmail does. So if you are a person that uses Gmail a lot, Boomerang would be a really good extension to look into. If you're just for the scheduling though, like. Google's it sounds like they're gonna have you covered. Awesome, very cool. Thanks for sharing that out, Josh. And we have a couple other things on the list for what's new, but just for sake of time, I'm gonna hold off on those and maybe they'll still be new next month. And if not, we'll just tweet about them later. You guys okay with that? Sounds good. Sure. No, Jonathan. I, all right, you know what, Jonathan? Why don't you go ahead and talk about Microsoft for her? Oh, no, no, that's okay. This is now the Google EdTech Pod Squad. I forgot. <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> All we talk what, about, which I love. Don't get, I don't want you to be upset. No, it's okay. It's it's um, Microsoft's answer to really Jamboard. Uh, it's a pretty slick little tool. We'll talk more about it next month. That's fine. Is it uh, just a quick question? Is it cloud? Is that cloud based? 
It is cloud-based, yes. Okay. So it's it's still it's, it's just like a lot of Microsoft tools when they come out. It's pretty clunky um, in the share aspect more because it's it's related to your domain. Um, like right now, I try to put a link in so we can all get in there and see it, but um, it's not been turned on at the domain level for us to share outside, so you can't see it. But um, it's I mean it's very similar to Jamboard. You can add pictures, you can add documents, you can add um, content. I do like the option to have. Um, you can add in different backgrounds. So like right now I've got a dot matrix. Uh, you can add in like graph graphing that kind of stuff. And, and so um, it's only works with windows 10 devices right now. It's only um, within that kind of thing. So, but it does say that it's cross web device. That's why I want to be able to try it, but I did have permission to do it on my Mac. So, um, but let it be less clunky next week. We'll talk about it then. So it's a Google Jamboard kind of competitor, but right now it only works on devices that run Windows 10? So the app itself only works on Windows 10. The option that I see that I haven't been able to try because we, we can't go outside the domain, but it says to allow outside users, um, and that's, it's a link. So it would just be shared with a link, and that would be a web version. So that should work just like Jamboard does, but I haven't been able to actually test it because of that restriction on it right now. But. Awesome. I'm sure that'll be something really interesting. We can maybe we can do a whole Microsoft episode one month. No, no, I don't. I don't like to do just one particular item. Do a whole episode on Microsoft Edge. (laughs) And we could um, record live from the Microsoft Store. I think we'd be the only people. I tell you what, that'd be a pretty cool idea. And we go cross street to the Apple Store afterwards, (laughs) where there's noise and activity. So we're going to jump on in now to the coach's corner. And I'm going to talk here for just a second. I want to talk about a recent Twitter challenge that we had in the Fox School District. Um, and I know that we all do Twitter challenges. So if you, we want to take a minute and just kind of share, share some of our um, best practices or plans when it comes to Twitter challenges, that's great. But I just wanted to share out um, right around in March, so right around, I guess it's been about a month now, um, we did a St. Pat Text Day. Uh, Twitter challenge. So it was a week-long challenge, and it was all focused around ed tech and the way that teachers are using ed tech in their classrooms. And, you know, when we think about Twitter challenges, one thing that I think, you know, a lot of times folks who are in a district will say, well, I don't need to do a Twitter challenge with the people in my school because I know them already. But I just wanted to shout out the idea of doing that intra-district Twitter challenge as a way to connect with people that are down the hall. And maybe you still don't know what what exactly is going on in their classroom, but that Twitter challenge is a great way to serve as a window into that classroom and to see what's going on with their kids. I'm going to give a quick shout out to, I'll call her the EdTech Pod Squad super fan, um, Jen Walter here in Fox, who put that Twitter challenge together. And I'll link out to the stuff we did over in today's show notes too. Um, so do you guys have a best practice or ideas around that idea of a district challenge? We do a district Twitter challenge as well. We do it um, in October. And so we call it trick or tweet. And I would just, I would echo your sentiment, JP, that, you know, it's really good in a district our size. It, it kind of breaks those walls down a little bit for teachers to see across buildings. Um, and I have a lot of teachers who come back after the Twitter challenge and say, oh, I'm using this idea from so-and-so at this school that I saw on the Twitter challenge. And then they can just make those connections just a little bit better. Um, we've, got, we've got a lot of our teachers are, are really good at using Twitter with their parents. Um, so trying to transfer 
using Twitter as a professional learning place uh, kind of helps to bridge that gap. I did a slow chat type thing, like a, you know, with, uh, with my district and it was like, I think it was like last year and I really liked it. It was kind of fun because we kind of came up with the hashtag too. We all voted and came up with a hashtag for it and stuff. Um, so that was really fun, but I, it, it got a lot of our teachers on Twitter. So that's something that I want to do better at now. I want to do some sort of fun Twitter challenge, especially with like map testing going on now and EOCs and all that kind of stuff. It might be kind of fun to do just a, like a little Twitter challenge kind of thing. Um, I've ran several Twitter challenges. Um, most recently, we did a uh, March Madness Tech Tournament challenge, and that was more, we had a couple of goals in mind with that. The first one was, uh, even a lot of our teachers, if they're using Twitter, they aren't using our district hashtag. So we want to make sure that everybody's sharing to the same spot and everybody is feels comfortable sharing stuff out from their classroom. So we had a lot of incentives for teachers to do that. Every, and it was five days over a week and to advance in the tournament, you had to complete a challenge and then tweet out about the thing that you completed. So like, for example, one thing was to do, like do a flip grid in your classroom. One of them was to read over one of the ISTE standards and then share something out about that. Um, and then every summer we do a, uh, a Twitter bingo challenge and that's to kind of keep our teachers engaged over the summer and sharing stuff out. And we students are, uh, we encourage students to do it too. But it's just a series of not necessarily uh, professional development, big push for like learning, professional learning. It's more for staying engaged with uh, our, school, our school district, uh, getting out and attending events or supporting students or just getting out in the community. So like, you know, one challenge is to go to the library and take a picture with a book. One of them might be to go to like the splash pad in town or to go in. Uh, if you see like if a teacher takes a selfie with a student, they can uh, get a thing on their video. But then when we come back um, in the fall, we do a drawing and everybody who completed a bingo can like uh, we do a drawing for uh, prizes. But we really our bigger pushes are to use to get teachers. Not we, most of our teachers are on Twitter now actually get them to use it and have an understanding of the kind of stuff that it's good to share. So like pictures from the community, stuff that's happening in your classroom, and then emphasizing our hashtag as well. So that was going to be my question. Do you guys um, incentivize your teachers at all to get more involved or is it just kind of do it and we'll see how, what kind of response we get? Oh, we definitely do a giveaway. So after they participate in ours and we did just did a, um, like a 10 day is, Kind of our window and then um we just picked in somebody who got a chromebook yeah we've given away uh like those google home speakers we've given away uh tablet uh chromebooks stuff like that um but you know like what goes a long way that's underrated and free is a jeans pass man teachers will die for a jeans pass so like every time you tweet it out or if you if you participate in the challenge it enters you into a drawing, but everybody who enters gets a jeans pass, you know, and that's uh, the price of a piece of paper. That's a really good idea. Typically, we haven't done um, any incentives, and this time around, when Jen kind of took the reins on the week-long Twitter challenge, she put together a whole little um, 
prize basket that of course was thematic with the St. Pat Tech's Day thing because that's how she rolls. Um, it was very obvious I wasn't in charge of that, by the way. Um, with stuff that, you know, giveaways that we've gotten from MEPC and that kind of thing. And she put a couple dollars into it and got some gift cards and that stuff too. Um, I think it's awesome, you know, Sam and Josh that you, it seems like your um, districts kind of are willing to put some financial financial support behind that, whether it's for the Chromebook or the tablet or the, whatever the case may be. I think that's really cool. You have to do stuff like that or um, buy-in is just can be really low, especially if teachers don't see the value. So if you can get them to try it, if even if you have to hold a carrot to get them to try it, once they do it, then it starts to become a little more fun. And those are going to be your initial adopters usually. So do you guys curate those tweets out? Like, I mean, use like a wakelet or anything to, to kind of keep them somewhere to, for people with access or? We don't necessarily curate them in any way. Our, most of our schools have some sort of uh, display board or a TV or something that are tuned in to show the hashtag. Now, sometimes... Oh, that's brave. It is really brave. Uh, I was just going to say, sometimes that doesn't work out super well. <laughs> so uh, we have been... One of the discussions we've had since that last challenge was, what are some ways we can curate this and still have it be where we're not having to go back and look at every mm -hmm. single thing? So... Um, if you are going to uh, do a challenge like that, I would suggest you at least make sure you don't have some uh, people with nefarious plans uh, invading your hashtag because that definitely will happen. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so two ways that, or a couple ways that I've done this, you know, we used to be able to do the Storify, I think was the, was the web app that would collect all the tweets for you. Storify is no longer a thing. So last year we used Twitter moments. I had our student worker go ahead and create Twitter moments for each day and week of the Twitter challenge so that we could go back and review them and kind of pull some of those later. Um, this year we, I actually used um, walls.io, I think is the website. And we just kind of, that replaces um, what Twitter used to do as kind of that live cataloging of um, a Twitter search they stopped they stopped that feature when they rolled out Twitter moments so we use walls.io and that kind of gives you that live scrolling wall of all tweets from a feed and I have a sample of that that I'll throw in the show notes um, that we just have our district PD hashtag kind of going on on our summer PD website anything else you guys want to share around Twitter challenges before we jump into our featured content I feel like we're gonna end up with a dual featured content today no, I'm just glad, JP, that you're talking about, you know, putting some stuff in that, because I know for me, I'd like to do one, like a Twitter challenge, and so I would definitely like to see examples or images of, like, the bingo boards or whatever you guys used um, in the past for your Twitter challenges. Oh, yeah, I can uh, put uh, uh, our latest bingo board up in the show notes for sure if people would like to see that. Yeah, and I did, you know, I did a little bit deeper dive into this in the last episode of my podcast. Um, and I know you listened the day it came out, Aaron, and just kind of slipped your mind. You know um, it, you know it. But yeah, we did, we talked about kind of the, well, we as in me, uh, talked about all the things to consider when you plan one of those guys, and I'll send you all my stuff too, and throw it in the show notes as well. So now we're going to jump out of the coach's corner, 
and head on into the featured content for today. And today, our featured content is all about planning a district-wide tech conference. I know everyone in this call has experience um, planning these big events. Some of us, we plan them for our um, school districts. Some of them, some of us plan for buildings. Uh, there might be someone in here who's planned an event for like, I don't know, two, 3,000 people before. So we're gonna talk all about um, the things we need to consider when we plan that district tech conference. So am I right in saying all of us have put on a district tech conference before? Uh, I will have to admit that WSD has never done just it being singularly tech. We always have multiple focuses, tech being just one strand. I guess our experience is kind of similar. It'll be a kind of It'll be like a ch based on a choice PD thing, and it'll be probably 80% presenting technology. And we do invite like outside presenters and people to come in and like provide a different perspective. But then we always have like some other people in, like our bigger district initiatives. We'll have like a, a behavior support person or a community outreach, you know, person coming in and presenting those things as well. But it's never just been, hey, here's a big tech. We have a we have a, a tech day in um in Orchard Farm, and I remember like when I first got this job, uh, like one of my very first meetings. They're like, okay, and here's what a tech coach, here's what you're gonna do, and you're going to design and lead the the whole entire district tech day. I was like, oh, I had no idea how to do any of that. So, that's it's been pretty fun so far. Yeah, we did. I think my first full year, we did. Um, it was a tech only day. And that was huge. And now we've kind of evolved that day. And I feel like we're on like an every other year basis where we'll do like a district-wide conference on one of our PD days. And it's best practices and tech, you know, tech falls into some of those best practices. So when you guys are planning your day, um, I'm, what are some of the most important things that you guys have to consider? Like when you're, like, do you base it on a theme? So do all, like when we're thinking about effective teaching and learning, I feel like that's kind of the, the theme, but do you guys have a focus that you look at? Do you look at your district goals? How do you plan like from the top down? What's that big picture look like when you're planning these events? I know for me, um, I just start with a needs assessment in each building and then I just take the results of all of those needs assessments and kind of put them together to see if um, there's just certain uh, topics that really stick out and then that helps me then create those sessions. And then I'll know that, okay, these certain sessions are maybe for everybody and then it looks like maybe elementary people need certain things like maybe seesaw or something like that, while then my secondary people might need um, I don't know, more in-depth things on like Google expeditions. And so it kind of helps me then break up, break up all the topics and create sessions out of them. So when you're talking about your needs assessment, Aaron, is that, do you do a needs assessment specifically for this event or is it your district, is this a needs assessment to plan the whole year of learning? I do. We do kind of a double, like a layer kind of thing. So um, our PDC reps for each building, professional development committee people, they send out a needs assessment for their building. Um, and usually there's some sort of technology that comes up through their needs assessment. And then I follow up with it with a very technology focused one as well. And, uh, and we kind of just combine those, those things together to get a really big focus. Kind of know what we need, what we need for our people. Awesome. Um, so we have a similar uh, planning process. We will put our, we have a, a professional development committee with uh, representatives from every school 
and we do a needs assessment with our technology committee where we will come out with some of the big ideas people are looking for. Um, but we also kind of try to balance that with, uh, we, if we just give people what they're looking for, we're not necessarily expire, uh, in you know, giving them access to new things. So we kind of balance it with, hey, here's something new and interesting that you could try versus here are the things you're probably more comfortable with, with wanting to see. And we uh, get away with that because we kind of use bands. So we'll have like stuff for beginners, like stuff for intermediate. And I'm sure you guys do similar things. And then like, you know, stuff for advanced. So they kind of know what they're getting into. If they're wanting to challenge themselves with something, maybe you're more power users or people who are stepping out and trying more uh, involved or innovative things, they can find an uh, advanced session. And we, we'll bring in from the area outside presenters and we'll ask them to, hey, you know, make sure to push our teachers a little bit here because my experience is our teachers will be more receptive to being pushed by people they don't know versus mm -hmm. me going into a classroom and telling them, for the thousandth time, hey, try something new, they tune me out. Definitely. So uh, asking our outside people to, hey, you know, challenge them at the end of the session, give them something that they can go um, work on. So you said something interesting, Josh, you were, you said that we can't just give them what they want. We have to focus on other things too. That reminds me of, and I don't know the exact quote. I know Jonathan knows it because his idol said it. Um, it was a Steve Jobs quote that we don't give people exactly what they want. We give them what we know they need or something along those lines. I don't know the quote. Jonathan, do you, you know it? Do you have a hanging like in your Actually, office? Actually, it's, it's on my wall at the office, but um, I'll have to go and check it out. <laughs> um, but no, so you're, you're anticipating their needs and you're giving them what they need, not just, hey, we want to learn how to do animations in Google Slides and make our text spin all around. I mean, yeah, like, so, like, if you were to let, and we have several hundred teachers in our district, and we just said, hey, what do you want to learn today? A lot of them would say nothing. So, um, you ha we have to anticipate, like, people who aren't super buying into stuff, and you do need to kind of entice them with something new and interesting, and maybe we'll catch their attention, especially since, you know, we have a lot of uh, innovative, strong teachers in the district who share things a lot. So we don't just want to continue to ask the same people to share the same things over and over again. And we do try to develop leadership in this area in our district as well. So see, like reaching out to those people, asking them to try something new um, and kind of asking them to share the new things that they're doing with our teachers, whether they kind of really want it or not. I think um, especially somebody who I present a lot and I present to a lot of people who haven't always seen the stuff that I do and I'm always surprised about how people will reach back out to me and be like, you know, I'd never thought about doing this thing that way. I'm so glad that you shared that. Or it might be the simplest little like thing that I kind of threw in at the side of a presentation that I did, but there's always going to be something new there, especially for people when they're not really looking for it uh, and they don't expect it. So uh, I do think you kind of have to anticipate what people need, not necessarily what they're comfortable with. And the crazy thing about that too is like we – we have to, as tech coaches, we have to go get our own PD and figure out how to get our own PD to learn the next, the next newest thing so that way we can turn around and figure out if it'll work for our district for things that our teachers don't know that they need. Like it's just crazy with like the whole PD for ourselves and then also planning the PD for our teachers in our district. Definitely. So the next thing um, that I think is important to consider when we're planning these big days, and at least this is a conversation that we have for way too long in my office, is how long are your sessions and what's the purpose of your breakout sessions? 
So how when you guys do these events, how long are breakout sessions? 45, 50, usually 45 and then a break, 15 minutes or so until the next session. And Sam, what do you guys do? Um, we actually have just done, so we've done very two very tech-specific, um, we call them mini conferences because it doesn't involve our entire district. So we did middle school, we did a technology middle school mini conference, um, and that involved our three middle schools. So still several, you know, pretty large conference, um, but just focused on technology. Our sessions were an, an hour apiece, and we had three sessions. And then we just did a collaborative project with our SPED department, and we did SPED and tech mini conference that involved K-12 SPED teachers. Um, and that was very successful, and it was completely a tech focus as well, which was nice because sometimes those teachers get completely overlooked when it comes to technology. And our middle school, our specific focus was one-to-one -one, because we just went one-to-one, -one, so it was tools for them to help implement one-to-one -one usually an hour, but we like to give time to for them to process the content or for them to step back and ask the presenter any, you know, clarifying questions. That's so, kind of why we, oh, sorry. Um, I was just going to say, that's why we do 45 and then 15. And usually people will come up after a session and that's a, that's a really good like time. If people are just ready to leave, they will, but then you'll have those people who do want to soak up a little more time. We'll have a few minutes. I, like, I love hearing the rationale for different session lengths. You know, some of the things I think that's important to consider is um, what do you want people to accomplish during the session? So is it a session where you're sitting and getting and then the expectation is that you're going to go and process later? Or is it a session where you're getting information, you're processing, and you're doing? And then what type of interactions do we want the presenter and the participants to have? And then finally, do we have an optimal number of sessions that we want to offer? I think those are all really important things to consider when you're thinking about how many sessions you're going to have. Um, we're planning a day for next fall. And on our day, we're going to do two 90-minute sessions with the expectation that all our presenters are um, giving, they're giving instruction and then time to create in there. And we have a little saying that we use. We actually took from folks over at Carnegie who do a math conference with us in the summer that it should be your session should be broken into 10 and two chunk and chew, just meaning that for every 10 minutes of instruction, there's two minutes of process time. Hmm. So if it, you know, if you talk for 30 minutes in a row, there should be um, six minutes for them to process or work or do. So just kind of something to think about there. And it's really, so, that helps me when I, like when I'm working on a presentation, whether it's I'm going to an event like an METC that Jonathan's doing, or I'm doing my own little workshop. I try to keep that in mind that for every 10 minutes, they have two minutes to do or think or talk. Yeah. So as uh, obviously at METC, we have different types of sessions, but um, back when I worked in Brentwood, we definitely had uh, the focus really started with what do we want our teachers to get out of first? I mean, do we want it to be a process more focused, but we actually implemented a rule that um, whenever we had tech PD, you had to have an equal number of process time and new, new content time. So if you had scheduled two hours for tech PD, only an hour that could actually be presenting. The other hour had to be process time with, with the actual expert in the room kind of thing. And I kind of transfer that over to my workshops when I do METC workshops, which I find at, in this role is 
can be confusing for teachers because they come to a workshop and they, and they, they think they're just supposed to be sitting and getting for, for the full, you know, three hours, six hours, whatever that workshop happens to be. And when I say, okay, so here's the project, start working and implementing, they go, what, what, they, they, yeah, I get the deer in the headlights look. They're like, what, is the workshop's over? I'm like, can we leave? I'm like, no, I don't think you should leave, but, um, I'm not going to over, you know, I'm not going to make you swim in this content. Let's go ahead and start building on what you already learned. And, um, but uh, yeah, I didn't see that as an issue at the district level. I think it's really important when you have that process time, especially if it's a longer chunk of time, like an hour of content, an hour of process, that it's really structured process time. Because what I've learned is that teachers don't always know how to use that time. It's like, oh, we're done. Okay, I'm out. Yeah. Um, so really kind of making that structured Aaron, you did something neat a couple of years back at, at Orchard Farm. Um, I was out there presenting and I really remember and liked the way that after the sessions were over, you had the presenters come down to the cafeteria where tables were set up. And that way people could go sit down with a presenter and ask any other questions that they have or continue conversation. But it kind of gave that direction for teachers after, because just like you said, people are like, whoops, I'm done, let's go. But they knew they went back and they could sit down and, and continue the conversation. Yeah, that was fun. So yeah, that was down in the cafeteria. So if you imagine all the round tables for our people who are listening, like I just had um, kind of like an image of what each of those sessions were like in the middle of the table. So that way, then the presenter knew where to go. And then people who just wanted to talk more with that presenter about that could go sit at that table and learn more. So yeah, thanks. Yeah, that worked out really great. Our people like that too. So the next thing I want to ask you guys about when it comes to planning your district tech conference, and we've all kind of alluded to using our own teachers and bringing in folks from the outside, but who are your presenters? Do you pay, are we all paying, you know, the big bucks for some of our favorite national um, speakers to come in and run the whole day? Are we using our own folks? Are we bringing folks from the outside? How, who's, you know, who's leading the learning for us? Well, Josh mentioned this earlier that you can't be a prophet in your own land, which I think is very important for us to remember. I can go into a classroom and I can give them a great creative idea and nobody's gonna listen to me. I bring in Josh Howard and my teachers are absolutely in love. So uh, we always, my favorite um, people to ask are my, my tech PLN that, that we've built. And so my, my local people, my JP, my Jonathan, my Aaron, um, other people that we, connect with at ETA. Uh, I love that we have a relationship that we can share back and forth between districts. And if our listeners aren't familiar with ETA, that's the Educational Technology Association of St. Louis, as I refer to in my district, the nerd herd, that we get together <laughs> once a month and we talk ed tech. So you're saying I'm the co-president of the nerd herd? That is the exactly doctor co-president of the nerd herd. Doctor nerd herd. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> we do need t-shirts. <laughs> Um, so just get, get back on the, uh, the point of like who's presenting, like it is, we never have the budget to like bring in any of these big name people. And we find we don't get a lot of mileage out of having like some big national speaker coming in. We have done that before. We've had, uh, we had, uh, Dave Burgess come in before we've had, uh, Matt Miller. So we've had like people like that who are notable and noteworthy and, uh, can get kind of people fired up a little bit but what we find is um we want to rely more on our own people so we really encourage folks especially those who don't often present 
We do offer uh, stipends for presenters as well, so they have the opportunity to make uh, some money, especially if um, uh, they can also count it as double PD hours. I don't know exactly how that works, but um, you can get double credit for actually presenting. So we do encourage people, we try to give them a little bit of benefit. But then we have a local group of presenters here in the Mid-Missouri area that it's nice to be able to reach out to because, you know, like we've been saying, people are get a little more excited about somebody that they haven't heard say the same thing 10,000 times before. And whether it's somebody who's notable or noteworthy, or if it's just somebody who sounds a little bit and looks a little bit different, that that's going to get people's attention a little bit better. So it sounds like we have a good mix of we're using our own teachers and we're kind of, we're really relying on our network, right? To, to come in and lead some of that learning. Um, and, you know, I think it's really cool, especially I can speak, you know, among this group, we have a real great kind of, I don't know if it's an unspoken agreement, but I'll speak it now. So maybe it's a spoken agreement that we go out and we trade days. So, you know, I went out to Orchard Farm for a day and I know that Aaron's willing to come out to Fox um, when I have a day, maybe, I don't know, September 23rd uh, when I'm going to need some help. You know, so we have that, that kind of agreement going on amongst ourselves to really share, share that time because we know we can only be in one place at a time. The next, so a question I have, and I've, I haven't had to deal with this, so I'm wondering if maybe you guys have some experience and want to, do we ever have to tell our teachers no when it comes to leading presentations on these PD days? And if so, how do you have that conversation? How do you help them grow so that the next time around they're ready to present? I don't think I've had to tell any of my teachers no yet. I don't think I've gotten to that point yet, like where maybe we have too many sessions or something like that. It's usually been a pretty good balance so far, but I could definitely see that being a hard conversation to have to tell a teacher no. We've had, uh, I don't know that I've ever had to tell a teacher no. Sometimes we'll have teachers who, you'll get like a team or a group of people who are all kind of doing the same thing. Um, Hyperdoc's really big a couple of years ago, so we, ha we had six people put in a hyperdoc session right so there's like no way we're going to have six different sessions on that so we do like talk with teachers about like you know is there something else you want to do this is kind of beat to death everybody's covered this already um and i will if if teachers are willing to present and they will bring something to the table sometimes you can say hey you know i saw you do this interesting thing maybe you could try uh you know to feature something else that you've been doing in your classroom and if not like uh, we've had to pair teachers up, team teachers up, have them present as teams, before. but we've never had to actually say no to a presenter, which is really good. Sam, you have anything on that? We have a big district uh, best practices conference as well. And so we have teachers that they put in to present for multiple topics and kind of along the lines of Josh, not that we necessarily turn people away, but there are times where we will um, kind of redirect the teachers you know, our big thing is we want our teachers to be able to be teacher leaders and we want to encourage that. And we know that we have so many amazing teachers doing so many amazing things that sometimes it's more of a redirect, not a no. Awesome. And that's a, I think that's a really good point that we're not saying no, we're helping folks refocus their presentations. And I think next month, we're going to talk all about planning our presentation proposals. One thing I'm doing, and I actually have it right here, so I know all of our listeners can see this document. Aaron and I were working on this yesterday. Um, it's kind of a plan, it's a 
proposal planning sheet uh, that I'm going to actually go through with a team of tech leaders today as we're um, putting in to present at our district event next fall to really kind of help them find a focus for what they want to talk about and who their audience really is so they can kind of have that focus instead of being like, oh, I think I want to do this or maybe I'll talk about a lot of this and that. Um, last question on this before we kind of spin things forward. Do you guys present on these days in your own district or do you run the show? So on, on any of our days, um, typically I present every, every session. I'll have offerings every session. There are times where uh, I'll try to like maybe take off the first session so I can make sure everything else is going smooth. Mm -hmm. We are mm -hmm. fortunate enough that our tech department's big enough that we have all of our technicians come out to make sure that the tech is going smooth. That's usually where the hiccups happen. Um, but then selfishly, I want to attend sessions too, because I want to learn from other people. Um, but, but for the most part, we're in all day teaching. Uh, when, when, when we have these kind of uh, events, I usually will take off, like Sam was saying, the first session, just to make sure everybody's in, set up. You never know if there's going to be missing a dongle or something, and you're going to have to run and find it. And it's really nice if your, your technology help desk people will help you out with that, but sometimes they don't always know about individual presenter needs. And we try to assume, like, uh, everybody's going to fill out those Google Forms we send about what they need and all that, but it doesn't always happen exactly how it ends in practice. So uh, I usually take off a session, but then... I, I, I present as much as I can and I get jealous, especially when we have uh, cool sessions on the schedule that I can't go to, but um, usually running around, get, get to school really early on that day, run around, make sure you got your signs up, make sure all the, the uh, presenter stations are ready to go and then get myself ready to present for the rest of the day. I'll have like five sessions maybe and I'll present two of them out of the five. Um, and I mean, Jonathan, I think about you. I don't know how you even present anything at all at METC, honestly. Like that's such a, METC is so huge and I don't even know how you even have the time to present at all. I think about you all the time. Yeah, it's, it's not easy. And, and when we plan that out, um, I mean, it, it's kind of a catch 22 because it is a way to kind of help others. I mean, we have access to 2000 people, right? And they may get you the chance to see myself or Stephanie, whoever else is on our staff to say, Hey, maybe we should invite them out to, to our district. So it is kind of like a promotional thing, but yeah, it, it's so hard with, cause there's so many different facets that go into that conference. Um, not only to, to just plan it out, but then all of a sudden, Oh yeah, I, I got to plan two different sessions too. So, um, but you know, you get used to it. I mean, once it is my future, Jonathan, you just hate that guy, but uh, you know, it is what it is. Awesome. So I will tell you guys, the first time we did one, um, I made the mistake of running the day and planning sessions. So I was, I, I was pulled out of my room and I'm sure you guys have had this, right? Like I'm in the middle of teaching and I remember Google Forms and a teacher like comes to the door. We need you and such and such that happened to be all the way across the school. I said, I'm teaching. We need you. I'm like, all right, well, you guys, we're going to multiple choice question. I sprinted across the school and I think the Fitbit was at 25,000 steps that day. It was a crazy day. That's true. <laughs> Yeah, you definitely have to have a team to, to make it happen and make it function correctly. That's for sure. 
Absolutely. But I think, you know, when it, when it really comes down to it, these are really worthwhile days that our teachers are exposed to new ideas. They have time to process. They're seeing the great things that are happening across our district and getting benefit from some of the experts that maybe they don't know or that they see at conferences like METC. You know, they're like, hey, I, I don't, I only heard about this guy, Josh Howard from this podcast thing he did at METC, but now he's coming to my district. Isn't that so cool? Um, a lot of real benefits there. So that's going to wrap up the featured content for this episode. And as we start to kind of put a bow on episode 14 of the EdTech Pod Squad, does anyone have anything that they want to shout out or plug before we all say goodbye for the day? I, I will uh, plug a couple of METC things. So we've got our, um, we're trying to do less because I know districts are doing so much within their own um, buildings, but um, we do have an AR VR boot camp coming from um, Jamie Donnelly down in um, Texas. And so with Journey Ed, it's, an, it's a national thing. And so um, they were looking for different locations around the country to bring this road trip tour to. And uh, so MTC is going to bring it to us. And so um, pretty excited about that. That's going to be in July at Orchard Farm up there in Orchard Farm School District. And then we have our Google Stravaganza, which is also in July, and then our Summer Institute, which is in June. Um, but those three things are really the only things that METC is doing this summer outside of our ACT certification stuff. Well, I'll share real quick. Uh, this summer, Fox has a couple of big um, conferences going on. The one that I'm going to talk about today is called the Fox Summer Literacy Institute. This is a great event. It is for 6 through 12 ELA and literacy teachers and anyone who teaches reading and writing in that secondary setting. We have um, three huge national keynotes. Um, Linda Reef, Richard Ellington, and Kate Roberts. So if you are in the literacy world, those people probably mean something to you. You can learn more about this event and register at bit.ly slash foxsli. And I will drop that link in our show notes today too. I hope to see some of you guys um, attend this super cool three-day event, July 9, 10, and 11. And with that, we are going to say goodbye for the day. Jonathan, why don't you kick us off? I am Jonathan Lee with METC. Catch me on Twitter at Percent or on any podcast with the METC podcast. I am a Dr. Aaron Lawson, and uh, <laughs> everybody's laughing at me right now. And you can uh, find me on Twitter, Aaron underscore Lawson3. Um, I'm Josh Howard. You can find me on Twitter at Josh C. Howard and my website, joshchoward.com. I'm Sam Hardesty-Knoll, and you can find me at TechKnoll. And I am JP Presavento on Twitter at JP Prez and jpprez.com. We are the EdTech Pod Squad, a monthly podcast of five Missouri tech leaders that shares our thoughts about really whatever we think about. Thank you for listening, and we will talk to you all again next month. This has been another episode of the EdTech Pod Squad. We'll see you next month for more sharing and reflecting with Josh Howard, Samantha Hardesty-Knoll, Aaron Lawson, Jonathan Lee, and me, J.P. Presidente.